0: To do so, go to the DSRnetwork.com and click on membership. It's that easy. But don't delay. Today's rates will only be available for a few more weeks. Join us. Support us. Go to the DSRnetwork.com right now. Thank you. Hi, this is Riley Fessler. Donald Trump was hit with a massive fine in his civil fraud trial in New York. In honor of the ruling, Today's episode from the Archive comes from August of last year, when Dahlia Lithwick and Simon Rosenberg joined David to analyze the effects of Trump's trials on the 2024 election. 9, 12, 10, 28, 2, 23, This is Deep State Radio, coming to you direct from our super-secret studio in the third sub-basement of the Ministry of SNARK in Washington, D.C., and from other undisclosed locations across America and around the world. Hello, and welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, David Rothguff, coming to you today from Washington, D.C. I am very pleased to be joined by two of our smartest, bestest friends, Dahlia Lithwick, who's a senior editor writing about the courts and the law at Slate, um, and is host of the Amicus podcast. How are you doing today, Dahlia?
1: I'm hanging in, David. Thank you for having me.
0: Um, Yeah, well, you're hanging in now, but (laughs) we know that the next 18 (laughs) months are going to be so brutal for people who are in your line of business that I think we may need to clone you. We may need several Dahlias.
1: We we just need like whatever those like eor correctives are that you like put out into the world to like make me a tigger again. That's what we need. I just need De- to have hope.
0: Um. Okay. I'll, <laughs> I'll 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 work on um that. What is it? The song goes that is it? Tigger's tail made of springs. I think that's what the song says. So we'll have to work on that. Um, there you know, um, and at somebody who can answer this and knows everything about everything is uh, our other guest, Simon Rosenberg, who's a political strategist and writer, formerly was the president of the New Democrat Network. Um, and he's got a substack called Simon WDC. How are you doing today, Simon? I'm great,
2: David. Thanks for having me on, as always.
0: Okay, so you know, what we are looking at here. Uh, this week, as we've had a fourth Trump indictment. Uh, this one brought by Fannie Willis in Fulton County, Georgia. Uh, one that uh, uh, includes um, 18 co conspirators uh, is a uh, RICO um, uh, case uh, suggesting a criminal enterprise. Um, and Uh, I think, in a number of substantial ways, turns up the heat on Trump. Dahlia is, of course, the best legal expert that we can find, and Simon uh, is the best political expert we can find, and so we want to talk about the implications of this case, um, uh, the implications of this case for all the other cases, and the implications of this case uh, for politics in the year ahead. Let me start with you, Dahlia. Do you think there are aspects of this case that change the equation for Trump? Or is this just another criminal case involving the former president?
1: No, I think, as you said, David, I think this turns the heat up in a whole bunch of ways. Uh, You know, first of all, instead of the Jack Smith case that's in front of uh, Judge Chutkin in D.C., you've got 19 people targeted, right? You've got 30 unindicted co-conspirators. So that's just multiple people who are both on the hook and apt to flip. That's a big, big, big uh, enterprise. And I think uh, probably that makes Donald Trump extremely nervous. It's in Georgia, as everybody knows, which means there's no pardon power. The governor of Georgia cannot pardon Donald Trump. And Donald Trump couldn't even seek a pardon until after Uh, The sentence has been served. So all of the promises to date in the federal cases that if he gets elected, he can pardon himself and all his friends vaporize now. So the consequences are very, very real. I think, I guess I would just say it's offset somewhat by the fact that this is such a complicated case. It will take, I mean, we're hearing now that uh, uh, Fonnie Willis is wanting a, a March trial date, but it's really hard to imagine trying 19 people together, uh, some of whom are going to want to do deals and some of whom are going to want to sever and Mark Meadows wants to remove to federal court. So I don't know how this gets done. Uh, by the spring. And I think that the other challenge, and I know this is what Simon's going to talk about a little bit, is just indictment fatigue, that it starts to look like just another pylon, and maybe folks don't care.
0: Well, Simon, that's a possibility. Another possibility is that there is a tsunami of legal cases, and every single day for the next year, running up to the election... We are hearing something new and awful about Trump, which could have a political consequence. Do you worry about indictment fatigue? Do you think that this, I mean, I I can't imagine, I mean, we've certainly never been in a political era like this one, where one of the principal actors is going to be in this kind of legal jeopardy on
2: live TV 24-7. Yeah, I don't think there's any scenario where this is good for the Republicans. <laughs> um, you know, it's bad. I mean, you've now had the Republican Party in the last two years do two historically terrible things, ending Roe and, you know, trying to overthrow a legitimate election in America that, you know, each of them could make them a minority party for a long time together, I think is going to be a really, really, tough slog for them in 2024. It's why I'm really optimistic about what we can do in 2024. I think much more is available to us than even in 2020. And we've already seen it play out in this year, in this calendar year. We've had terrific showings now going beyond what people thought was possible in Wisconsin and Pennsylvania, in Colorado Springs and Jacksonville and now in Ohio. And so, you know, our side is very motivated. Their side continues to underperform. And You know, I think Trump is going to be a very, very hard sell for the Republicans. But I I also want to say one other thing that I think is very significant, and Dahlia was getting to this, which is that what's been established in the last few weeks is there was a conspiracy. The Republican Party led a conspiracy of hundreds of people in Washington and across the country to overthrow a legitimate election. And hundreds of people now, we know that the DOJ had already prosecuted over a thousand people successfully. The next two to three hundred people that they may prosecute or the states may prosecute are prominent Republican leaders all across the country. And these trials could be could take years. These trials could be playing out in Michigan and Georgia during the election itself. And I think that, you know, there's there needs to be an understanding now that we're facing, you know, the Watergate trials I think took almost ten years to finish we're in a situation now where the Republicans committed the gravest political crime in American history, and they deserve to be punished for it. And this punishment could take years and years and years, and they'll deserve every moment of it. And I think that we don't really have any understanding yet of what it's like to have one of our two parties essentially to have committed treason and then trying to run in the next election with some kind of putting lipstick on that pig. This is not going to be an easy thing for them to do. And I think we're going to have to be relentless. Hard nosed and tough about reminding the people of the stakes of what happened in 2021 and why they deserve nothing in 2024.
0: Yeah, I think this is a really good point, Dahlia. And, uh, you know, I've seen a lot of people write things about the breadth of Fannie Willis's case versus the surgical focus uh, or, or precision of the, the Jack Smith case against Trump. Um, but, you know, since Fannie Willis brought this, I've started to hear more and more people raise this issue that Simon is raising. And, and I think that's a real merit of this case, is that it, you know there are uh, 19 co-conspirators in this case and 30 unindicted co-conspirators. That's 50 people in this case alone. That's not to speak of the 1,000 people who have already uh, been um, arrested or brought to trial uh, for this thing. And it's not to speak of all the others who haven't been um, in Michigan or in Arizona or, you know, you know, you, you know what was Ron Johnson or what was Chuck Grassley or what was Josh Hawley or what were these other people doing on the Hill? And, you know, the question during Watergate was what did the president know and when did he know it? The question in this case may be what did they know And when did they know it? And what did they do? Um, Because I think Simon has correctly framed this as something we've never seen before, where a whole party is not only at fault, but continuing to support this effort. What do you think about
1: that? I think that's true in two really important ways. One is that the Republican Party, yet again, given the opportunity to cut themselves free from Donald Trump, has not done that. In the, in the days and hours since the indictment. In other words, one of the ways that Simon's point, which is this is a coup by the GOP, is an unwillingness to say that an effort to deliberately set aside the popular will and to lie and falsify documents and pressure people and bully uh, people into uh, you know making false statements, that all of that is seemingly okay. If a Republican does it. And to some extent, what that points to is, you know, Simon's point, your point, this isn't just these 50 people. This is a whole party that is apparently pretty sanguine with what Donald Trump did. And that's just a horrifying admission because that's when you really see that who could have also been indicted here is all the people who were complicit on January 6, as you said, and who remain complicit today. you know people like Lindsey Graham who are saying, oh well, the way to sort this out is through elections, right No, they tried to steal an election. The way you'd sort it out is here in court. The other way that I think it's really material and this is this is important is that it seems to me that there was an argument made a couple months ago, when the documents case at Mar-a-Lago was unspooled and folks said, this is the case. This is the one that matters because people get this, right? They know they can understand. They can wrap their heads around keeping classified documents. And they understand that, you know, nobody gets to do this. And particularly if they are going to imperil, you know, sources and methods. What I think Fani Willis did this week was make very real and physical and tangible The case that Jack Smith made very, very much in sort of the vapors. I think that the federal indictment, because, as you say, it was so kind of narrow and targeted, didn't tell a human story. It was a story of a crime against democracy and not a crime against voters. What Fannie Willis has done by doing this tick-tock, tick-tock, tick-tock that ends with Shea Moss and Ruby Freeman Is centers. No, it's actually a crime against voters. It's a crime, particularly against black voters around the country. And I think that telling that story in granular detail makes this not an abstraction. You know, what Donald Trump did is no longer an abstraction because we have minute detail on what it takes to suppress the will of black voters in urban cities. And I think that really matters. I think that as a story, that is perfectly tangible and perfectly explicable. And I, I think maybe just the coda to that is that every time Donald Trump says to a rally of people, Oh, they're coming after me for what I did for you, in this case, they're coming after him <laughs> for lying, falsifying documents, bullying people. Nobody, I don't think anybody identifies with this conduct. This isn't protected First Amendment activity, it's not noble. It's just being a thug and a bully and a crime boss.
0: You know, listening to you, um, as is always the case with your rich and provocative answers, as I have many thoughts in my mind. One of them is, though, that the way that this narrative is now going to be told to the American people is like a Greek tragedy. You have downstage center, Trump, the Leading character, the one who is fatally flawed. But you have a chorus that's going to tell us the story. And it's going to be Fonnie Willis, and it's going to be Jack Smith, and it's going to be Letitia James, and it's going to be other DAs across the country. And each one is going to tell a different part of the story. And although their cases do not fit together legally, you know, impacting one another, perhaps like a jigsaw puzzle. The narratives will. They will all be a different strand in the narrative, and you will be hearing next year the Gene Carroll uh, uh, case again and defamation and rape, and you will be hearing the fraud case and the tax fraud case, and you'll be hearing the Mar-a-Lago national security case, and you'll be hearing um, the Jack Smith version of the January 6th case, and the Fonnie Willis. And even if these things get pushed and they go on, every single day, there's going to be new revelations from each one of these things. And Simon, as you say, that's got to have negative consequences. There's some early polls out. And needless to say, some of our friends in the media are doing what they always do. And they go, well, look, Trump's got all that Republican support, except he has less Republican support in terms of Committed voters. A lot of people are getting tired of him, even within his own party. Um, And uh, the uh, uh, independent voters are really souring on him. Um, And I can only imagine that the American electorate hears this chorus retelling the story about what a horrible guy this guy is. um, And it makes him.
2: Unelectable. Am I overstating it, Simon? (laughs) (laughs) Listen, I I just, as a political strategist, you know, our path to win next year is pretty clear. I have no idea what their path is, right? I can't see it. You can't put lipstick on this pig, right? You can't somehow dress up Trump any longer and sort of say he really is a virtuous potential president of the United States. I mean, and I we have to recognize the Republicans are in an incredible bind now, right? the way their primary season works is that if he wins in Iowa in mid-January, he's basically the nominee. It's basically over. And and so he could be the nominee, the functional nominee with people starting to endorse him or at least drop out, you know, as early as the end of January, early February. And then that's when all the stuff happens <laughs> after he's become the nominee. And then they're stuck with him. And I, I think that the This is such an extraordinary set of circumstances. And and I think just two points. One is that on this issue of it being a Republican-wide conspiracy, basically, to commit treason, or I know that treason has legal words, but some equivalent, moral equivalent of treason to betray the country, Um, and it was the whole party and not just Trump, which I think is really, really important, right, that it was all of them. Remember, there's video of Ron and Romney McDaniel from the January 6th committee hearings, Saying on camera, admitting to participating in this entire scheme. We already have the video of this. I've seen it. I've watched it like 15 times of her admitting to being part of this illegal conspiracy to overturn the election. There are dozens of people that work for her that also were involved in this. I mean, the scale and scope of what we're dealing with here is extraordinary. And I think there's just in Washington, we're just used to the Republicans never having to pay a price, right? I mean, we know from the Iran Contra. Experience that Bill Barr and George Bush, you know, pardoned everyone who was involved in that. Uh, We know that in 2016, Trump, you know, fired the prosecutor looking, you know, Comey looking into his Russia stuff. We know that they think they can always get away with all of this. And it's why, in some ways, what's about to happen here, this next phase of Trump, right, where we have to let the wheels of justice turn, we have to protect. The judicial system, the people people in the courts, the grand jury witnesses, the prosecutors from malevolence that could come. Because once you try to overturn an election, then everything is possible. And we have to stop underestimating their banality as we go forward here. And I think that the Republican Party, in my view, is on the precipice of something really disastrous. I mean, it's certainly what I've been arguing is that Democrats have to think about trying to get to 55% next year. We have to grow our vote. I think much more is available to us. And we've got to design the Biden campaign to have a blowout so that the election is a clear repudiation of this kind of politics. The, the country needs that. We need Donald Trump to go in front of voters and to get blown out in order for us to start, t- you know, having the Republican Party take itself back from MAGA. And so I, I think I'm very optimistic about where we are politically. I'm deeply worried about the kind of malevolent behavior we may see towards the courts and the legal system over the next 15 months, because it's just such an easy target. And it's something we have to start talking about, I think, very openly and publicly.
0: Yeah, I agree. And I I want to turn to Dahlia for a follow-up on it, but I do want to note that on the day we're recording this, we're already starting to see stories about Trump supporters targeting grand jury members and doxing them and publishing their addresses in the Grand Jury case in Florida uh, of the Florida ca- and the Georgia case. Um, d- you want to add something to this guy?
1: Well ju- just just a quick thought because I think one of the things, you know, Simon started his first answer by mentioning Dobbs and I want to connect it back to this conversation in two ways. One is um you know, one of the things we learned in the midterms was that the only thing that Galvanize voters as much as Dobbs was threats to democracy. Voters really cared about threats to democracy, and I think a lot of us were surprised by that. <laughs> you know that attacks on democracy, which seems so inchoate, was a thing that people are worried about. And that was, by the way, you know, I think the way folks understood Dobbs last year, the way they understood, you know, Bruin the gun case last year was, how can I live in a state where only 20% of the people keep winning? And I think what Dobbs did in a foundational, shape-shifting way was help people connect what happens in the courts and what happens to democracy. And I think one of the things that you're seeing, and this is what we saw last week in Ohio, is that when you have flagrant attempts to steal the vote, right? To say, we're gonna change the ballot initiative from 50% to 60%. People are pissed because they understand the connection between forced pregnancy or, you know, allowing people to have guns that nobody wants and nobody votes for and doesn't poll well. And suppression of democracy. And so I just think that in addition to the sort of soup that we're in of all this sort of uncertainty, one thing that I think is manifestly true is that people have begun to connect up efforts in, you know, red states and the state houses to suppress democracy, to take away the vote, um, to change it so that you can't do on the ballot what you could do a year ago to steal Supreme Court seats, what have you. And all of that is connected up both to democracy itself and to abortion rights. And I think that connecting that tissue together for the voters, thank you, Sam Alito, for making it plain that you don't live in a democracy if all your rights can be taken away. And I think in a sense, that's kind of the we're we're in the slipstream of that conversation right now. And that's a good place to be.
2: I want to endorse everything. Can I just say, I want to endorse everything she just said. I agree with every word, <laughs> what she just said. And I think it was a powerful articulation of the current moment we're in.
0: Well, and I, I, I wanted to say that, you know, it, it it expands on the initial point of our conversation, which is this is not a conspiracy by one person. This is a conspiracy by the Republican Party. And it's got two components to it. The illegal components for which they will be charged. And the components that are just wrong, which perhaps they will pay a price for um, uh, at at the polls. Certainly, they've been alienated, um, uh, uh, or they've alienated um, voters in 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 all of this. Um, I have to say, though, as I as I look forward to this, one of the things, Simon, that we hear about. Um, is that we might end up with, you know, Trump trial fatigue. That it all blends together. You know, is what's the right way for Democrats to handle that? What is? Do
2: do you worry that that's the case? No, because uh, I think um, I think there's just going to be this profound sense of just betrayal, disappointment you got to be kidding me, you know, everything Dahlia just said, I mean, coupled with, I mean, we're just, re- I, I think that we've in this, he said, she said, left, right, you know, both-siderism world that we live in, the fact that one of our two political parties has gone completely insane and become a liberal and corrupt in unprecedented ways in our history, attacked our, you know, attacked our democracy, has, you know, cre- the Roberts court has become this extraordinarily corrupt and enterprise. These are just incredible betrayals of everything, the American creed, everything that we understood to be great about this country. And of course, we have to make this the central issue in the election in 2024. It was the central election issue in 2018, 2020, and 2022. And we had really good elections in all three of those elections, and it's going to be again. And, but the material we now have, the Clarence Thomas stories, which are just mind-blowing, right? Look, Clarence Thomas is the most corrupt official in the United States in modern history because no public official could ever take the amount of gifts, one-tenth of the gifts that he's taken, right? Nobody could get away with one-tenth of what he's gotten away with, right? I mean, the level of corruption, the sense they've lost their way, their illiberalism, their willingness to sacrifice democracy for their own political gains, We're up against something really dark and un-American and and, um, malevolent and illiberal. And yes, we have to make that central. And the thing is, voters know this, right? They've been voting on this. We've litigated this. There is this deep sense in the electorate. We've seen polling on this. There's a deep sense in the electorate that something's gone wrong with the Republican Party. And we have so much more ammunition to make that case now than we had in the previous three elections. And that's why you know, I worry to some degree, my greatest worry about next year is that we won't go for it. I mean, I'm, I'm Biden went for it legislatively in 21 and 2022. He rolled the dice, he went big, he's done extraordinary things. We got to roll the dice politically in 2024, meaning we've got to try to get to 55%. We've got to try to blow this thing open and win the House back, win the Senate. And we and because we it will be good for the country, for the Democrats and the Republican Party for this election to be understood as a as a as a clear repudiation of this kind of politics. And and so I'm I think that we have to be as Democrats not in a defensive crouch. Right? Joe Biden's been a good president. The country's better off the Democratic Party's strong we have to be expanding and growing and being on offense and not worried and not coward. Right? It's our time now, and we've got to go for it. Yeah, excellent, excellent point. And every time you're here, it's a it's a point we
0: we try to underscore. Um, by the way, Simon, as you were saying this, it, you know, and again, we record these things and people listen to them later, but it popped up on Twitter um, a, a, a new quote. Uh, or it was from earlier today, actually, Marjorie Taylor Greene, uh, saying she hasn't made up her mind whether to run for the Senate. And then she says, she says, am I going to be part of President Trump's cabinet if he wins? Is it possible that I'll be VP? And I'm, you know, it's, I mean, so, so much
2: is possible for her, David. I mean, isn't it a great? It's a great country. Like even Marjorie really Taylor Greene. And listen, I she's not going to be would, VP because it's going to be Robert Kennedy, right? I mean, that's yeah. You know, well, so that's Robert possible, Kennedy Jr. He's being groomed for those for of you who, who I don't know
0: if will we'll be able to save the video and put it on social media, but. The video of Dahlia strangling herself with her headset. It, uh, it was good. Um, it was good. It's an image you, you you don't want to lose. I want to ask you a question before we we take our mini break here, Dahlia, that picks up on a point that Simon said. Um, uh, there are a couple of things Trump is counting on here. And I want to talk about one of them after the break, which is ability to delay and delay and delay. Um, but I think one of them is that some of this stuff's going to go up to the Supreme Court. And I just, I, you know, pick up on what Simon is saying here. The Supreme Court is in a place it has not been in 100 years. You know, I mean, it is despised. It has the lowest ratings it's had in a long time. Um, and if the Democrats win big, they, they may have some real surprises coming for them, whether it's term limits or the surprises of the size of the court or ethics and so forth. Do you think Trump is therefore mistaken? In counting on the Supreme Court to do his heavy lifting, because some of the you know the more rational minds on the right, Roberts or Kavanaugh or something, may just not want to go along with that and and royal the waters further. Uh, or do you think they're going to take the Alito point of view, which is you can't touch us, we're kings, and screw you?
1: I mean, first of all, we have a data set because we know what the Supreme Court did after the 2020 election, which is say, oh, hell no. Right. They chose emphatically not to intervene. And um, I think that the best, most plausible explanation for what happened last term uh, was that the Alito and Thomas faction was almost completely frozen out by the non MAGA, you know, rest of the party, with the exception of Justice Gorsuch, who sometimes tags in with um, Justices Alito and Thomas. I think that you simply have five consistent votes that are not Trumpists and that uh, are not going to want to associate themselves. I mean, everything Simon said about day after day after day of this trial playing out and just hearing testimony that shows how corrupt and vile this was, is going to be playing in John Roberts' ears. And he doesn't want to associate himself with that any more than he wants to associate himself with, you know, glacier martinis and fishing trips. I mean, I think you've got The center of the court that is by no means the center. It is still wildly conservative, but I don't think it's a Trumpist MAGA center. And I think that they will win, by the way, at the Fifth Circuit. I mean, they will win in a lot of places where Trump appeals court judges are much more Trumpist than uh, uh, John Roberts. But don't forget, we keep hearing DeSantis and Trump fighting over which of them loves Alito and Roberts more. They don't name check. I'm sorry. Which of them loves Alito and Thomas more? They don't name check the chief justice. They don't name check Brett Kavanaugh. In fact, they keep saying they can't wait to replace them. So I don't think you have more than three max votes for, you know, more Trumpism at the U.S. Supreme Court.
0: Super interesting and a corrective to another one of those bits of conventional wisdom that's out there. This is where we take a break and we say to everybody who's not a member, thanks for joining us. Uh, And if you want to be able to listen to what the rest of this interesting conversation will be, or the totality of all our other interesting conversations, it's super easy. You just go to the dsrnetwork.com. You click on membership. It's $5 a month. It helps support us and what we're doing here as the world's smallest media company. Um, uh, and uh, uh, I think it you know when you listen to Dahlia and you listen to Simon, you say, that's real valuable and I'm getting more of them that I could hear on uh, TV. So uh, you know, let's keep this going. and that's why we think you should be a member. Uh, for those of you who are not members, bye-bye and for those of you who are members, stand by. Okay we're back here um Simon do you think there is anything that can come up on the democrat side of the ledger that will push this issue to the side that you know that you know uh, or you know or is this you know is this is is Trump and the Trump trials and the abuses of the MAGA right the central issue next year no matter what
2: well, I think yes and no. I mean, I, I think yes, it will probably be. I mean, just you know, forecasting the likely scenario. But for Joe Biden, right, he, there are two things that just have to go right for him to have the kind of election that he wants to have. He, the economy has to be strong, and the war in Ukraine has to feel successful. You know, certainly you could paint a scenario where the economy is in bad shape next year, and the war isn't going well, and gas prices are too high, and then. You know Biden will be struggling at that point, and even with Trump on the other side, and it, there's no guarantee of victory. And so, what's most important for me is that the president continues to govern well. And politically, we need to go out and sell his accomplishments far more aggressively. We know from polling, lots and lots of polling, that people don't really know what he's done. And when they're informed about what he's done, his numbers go way up. And so. That's what I mean about our job being kind of clear, right? There's a clear direction. We need to keep governing well. We need to get better, more credit for the good work that Joe Biden has done. He's been a good president. We've got a very strong case to make to the American people. And then we've got to remind the American people about how the Republicans have betrayed the country and you know, whatever the narrative, however, we, whatever words we use to describe their transgressions, you know, that's also going to be a very powerful story to tell. <laughs> and so, you know, I think, I think, you know, I'm very optimistic. And, and I, I think the thing that we have to get better at is we have to, there, everyone who participated in this conspiracy needs to be prosecuted. There, no, there can be no, nobody can flinch. There can't be any sense that anyone gets off because if anybody gets off, if the wheels of justice don't turn, people are able to escape, then we're creating an incentive for this to happen again. And the gravity now of this phase of, of the insurrection, right, which is the prosecution, the bringing to justice of everybody, this is really important. And, and some group of people have to be out there creating space and talking about the urgency of making sure that our judicial system is allowed to, to work properly. The president's not going to do it, right? He's already made it very clear that he doesn't want to look like he's putting his thumb on the scale. And whether it's a series of senators, whether it's Barack Obama and George Bush and Bill Clinton, there needs to be states, wise statesmen here talking to the American people about the need to continue these prosecutions to the end in order to create an incentive structure for this to never happen again. And and that's, you know, I don't, how we have that conversation, right, and who's leading that conversation is going to be, I think, an important thing that we all need to start talking about.
0: Absolutely right. Um, I wrote a column on it this week. I encourage you to go to the Daily Beast and read my column. And, and, Hopefully and I didn't steal some, anything some no, some No, some of my friends will disagree with me, but I go a step further than you just did. And I said, if convicted in a fair trial, Trump should go to jail. They should all go to jail. That's part of the process. Because if they don't, it sends a message of impunity It sends a message that when presidents try to overthrow the government, if he's, you know, is forced to sit at Mar-a-Lago poolside with an ankle bracelet that, you know, that's, it's a different standard altogether. And I think, so we need to follow through on this all the way through. Um, uh, Dahlia, you know, another, there, there are several things that I can predict with a fairly high degree of certainty. One This story is going to be a story every day next year. There is, with seven trials currently underway, and and possibly more, um, there's going to be some new revelation, some new Trump outrage in response to the revelation, some new something every day. Um, Another... Is that that means Dahlia Lithwick is going to be like super burnt out by the end of the year? She's going to be on every show. She's going to be like, please let me go on vacation, and they're going to be like six more months, Dahlia. I mean, it's going to be very hard on legal commentators. Uh, another one is that some lawyers are going to emerge as heroes for defending the rule of law in the United States, and and these people. And this is the focus of my question. There's another group of lawyers who are going to emerge as assholes. They're going to emerge as the worst we expect of lawyers because they're going to be trying every trick in the book to delay, to get things dismissed, to block certain things that seem no- normal. They're going to be making arguments that are ridiculous. Um, uh, and, you know, there are a lot of cases. There are going to be a lot of lawyers that are out there doing this. When you look at these cases, how successful do you think, I mean, you know, is all this stuff going to get pushed out for, you know, a couple of years? Are any of these things actually going to come to trial next year? what's your gut tell you? Uh,
1: I mean, two quick points on the lawyers. One is sort of underlying your question, which is not just that they're going to be horrible lawyers defending him, but I don't want to walk away from the number of lawyers indicted alongside him, right? The number of people who are members of bars and who were seen as serious legal minds, whether it's Giuliani or Eastman or Sidney Powell, you know, it's shocking that the legal profession itself has done almost nothing to discipline most of the people, both in the Jack Smith indictment and in this one who somehow managed to, to, to practice law. That's the first thing I think it's important to your second question. It's very clear that if the game here is delay, Eileen Cannon is going to be their great hope, right? She's going to delay and delay and delay. And she clearly has, very much bought into the view, by the way, this is what she was spanked for in the appeals court, that the ex-president is different and he should be held to different standards. I think we've seen nothing of that sort from Judge Chutkin. I think that she has made very, very transparent that efforts to lollygag or delay or say like, oh, we have day jobs, we can't come in this week, uh, are just going to get like booped on the nose. And I think that in the courts with judges who are sympathetic to Trump, he will be able to, you know, do what he's always done, which is, you know, shenanigan this out. I don't think and one of the reasons I've been so impressed with Judge Shutkin just as a sort of literary character is i love the degree to which she just treats this as of a kind of a piece with all the other january 6 thugs that she's seen <laughs> march through her court she just in in every single way has signaled that this is just another one of those thousand plus people who came to try to overturn democracy and the utter unwillingness to treat him like he's special because he's the former president is such powerful signaling. The only piece of this that is going to be tricky and this matters is that if any other defendant, any of those thousand thugs that have come through the DC courts were threatening witnesses the way Donald Trump is, were sort of vaguely suggesting that jurors or, uh, participants in the case or prosecutors, uh, are not safe, I think she would have shut it down. I think the one place where she is in an almost intolerable bind is what to do about his pretrial threats. And we're going to have to see what happens in Georgia, where the standard, by the way, for pretrial detention is much higher if you threaten witnesses. And Donald Trump has clearly threatened the lieutenant governor. But I think the one place where Donald Trump is going to get a little bit of special treatment, whether... And Judge Chetkin was really clear. She's like, don't care if you're running for office. Don't care if you're the former president. Here, you're just a defendant. I don't know that she can sanction his horrific threats and speech in a way she would do if he was anyone else. And that's just going to be sort of one of the quandaries that she has to pick her way through. And the same thing is going to be true in Georgia.
0: Interesting. Worrisome. And I I think you're right. And I think part of that is that they have inadvertently picked up on this First Amendment argument that Trump's lawyers have been making, which is specious and and insupportable, but they're picking up on it. Uh, Okay, I have one more question for each of you uh, as we wrap up, don't have a lot of time um, here. Um, Simon, because you're the political specialist, let me ask you a legal question. Um, (laughs) uh, uh, (laughs) I was talking to another political specialist yesterday And, you know, he was saying, you know, we were talking about these trials and everything else. And he said, one thing that worries him is that, you know, you get some case, like the Mar a Lago case, possibly, and it comes to trial before the election. And there's one or two people in the jury because it's Fort Pierce, Florida. And they're just like, forget it. I'm not going to vote against Trump. And Trump gets acquitted. And it's, you know, a couple of weeks before the election. And the Republicans come out and say, see, This was all a fraud. This is the only fair trial because it's not one of those city trials with all those city slickers. And we know what they mean by that, of course. Um,
2: Do you worry about stuff like that? No, I don't. I mean, I, I think the cumulative impact of all this is just going to be overwhelming. And, you know, and we just have to keep speaking in plain English about what happened. I mean, yeah, there are trials, but Donald Trump tried to overthrow our democracy. That we don't need to have a trial about that that happened it's a fact right i mean we know that it's a fact we know that he's done all these other things right we know he stole documents we know he lied to the fbi i mean you know these things all happened and i think we have to be resolute in our not our unwillingness to use, to be to use language that lawyers would use in the courtroom meaning that when we speak outside the courtroom we have to be more blunt and more direct and not say this is alleged, or this may have happened. It happened. It's all happened. We saw it in front of our own eyes. We know what happened. The court, in some degree, the trials are irrelevant at this point, in my in my view, because we know these things took place. And whether he gets indicted in three years or four years, and how many different cases he gets indicted in, I think we're, I think the, the die is cast here. And we, it, but it's up to us to not cower and to not You know, I think I always joke that one of the blessings and the curse of the Democratic Party that we have a lot of lawyers in it, and sometimes lawyers are far more careful about the way they speak about things than people should be in politics. And we need to be very forthright and clear to the American people about what's happened here. And we need to make sure they pay not just a legal price, but a political price. I think we can do that. Okay, so I'm going
0: to take a trial that hasn't happened yet, uh, Daya, and ask you to opine on it for... 60 to 90 seconds, uh, and that is somebody, and 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 it might be Citizens for Ethics, the crew folks, uh, is going to challenge the ability of Donald Trump to be a candidate on some ballot somewhere under the provision under the 14th Amendment, which says, if you uh, supported an insurrection, you are unfit to run for office. Um, how's that going to go?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it got a boost uh, last week when you had two Federalist Society professors saying, yeah, there's there's a real case to be made there. You know, I think, um, you know, the most prestigious minds in the conservative legal movement uh, threw some heft behind it. I don't know how it's going to go for the same reason we don't know how anything is going to go, because where is it going to happen and what is the claim going to be? And I don't know. Um I think that one of the things that, just to sort of in the spirit of what Simon was saying about being courageous with our language, is that this is a thing we should have started talking about in a meaningful way in the law reviews four years ago, right? We're talking about it now. Okay. I think that we have to to use Professor Jack Balkin's phrase, get things, you know, that were off the wall, put them on the wall, be really courageous about using everything in our arsenal. And I think that the mere fact, and this is, by the way, the argument I applied to, you know, expanding the Supreme Court or doing away with term limits, to have the courage of saying, if it were the other side, would they be brave enough to do this? Yeah, they would. So we got to be brave enough to do this. And so while I can't speculate as to what would happen, I think that there it's a complicated legal question. I can certainly say that finally being brave enough to put this into the discourse with a year and change to go before the election is something we should be relieved for. It should have happened years ago.
0: Yeah, absolutely I ab- absolutely right. Um, and we're gonna obviously have a ton to talk about here. And that is why I'm so glad. That you, Dahlia, and you, Simon, are our friends. You are two of the most important voices out there, two of the best minds out there. Um, uh, and I think it's important to periodically have the legal discussion alongside the political discussion because I think these two things are directly connected. So hopefully, we can have you back again uh, sometime soon. Enjoy the remainder of your summer. And um, uh, to everybody who's
2: been listening, thank you. Uh, and for now, Bye-bye.